Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and uh, just me today. Logan is busy, so uh, we will be uh, just just doing it solo today here. Uh, we do have some things to talk about, some big news to talk about. We have the U.S. Men's National Team Sporting Director that is supposed to be announced tomorrow. There's rumors about who that is, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we had the friendly U.S. Men's National Team and uh, and Mexico faced off, and then we have the MLS action and previewing, you know, Concacaf Champions League and all that, all that good stuff. So that's what we'll be uh, what we'll be diving into here for the show uh today so yeah it's it's been a it's been a crazy week i i think i always have these issues when it comes to the earth day week because of the of the kits you know all being like the same jerseys apple made it a little easier by actually changing uh you know at the top of the score bug it actually had the colors of the jerseys up there i think in the past like ESPN and Fox had kept like the same colors of the team's crest. And then you had to wait to see, you know, like who is uh, when, when they zoom in, like, Oh, Atlanta's wearing the greenish one. And uh, Chicago's wearing the bluish one, that type of stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it's been, it's been a, it's been a weekend of, you know, when you, when you're trying to watch highlights or just watching games, especially when they're flipping around the games on MLS 360, trying to readjust to who is wearing what because they're all wearing the same thing. And I think that's my least favorite thing about this is, you know, that they that it's all the same, that nobody, that, that somehow they can't be a little bit more different, I guess, different enough that we can tell. I don't know. Maybe it's because of the recycled materials or something. I'm not really sure, but surprise you can't just still have those like the pattern of the kit but with the team colors maybe maybe that's too difficult to do or something but man that that would be nice i'll i'll let that rant end there in, in that regard i don't want to go too long on on that but i guess let's go ahead and start off with the u.s men's national team news uh u.s soccer is apparently set to hire matt crocker who is a director of football for Southampton. He's leaving. Um, and it looks like U.S. Soccer is supposed to be hiring him as their sporting director. Uh, some people kind of jumped out here and said, hey, yeah, I think some people are a little upset with this. I, I think then some people came out to kind of defend this a bit, that Crocker has worked in you know, the, U, uh, the England setup, youth setup for England and has actually won world cups and other tournaments at that level. He has a connection with Jesse Marsh. It looks, I think he was the one that was uh, interviewing him for the Southampton job. So there's a connection there in that way. Doesn't mean Jesse Marsh is going to become the U S manager, but I do think that it's interesting that they did go with an outside hire. This is something that we've kind of been asking for, right? As somebody unconnected to us soccer, um, but he still has experience with national teams, men and women's games, 
and club football. So I think that is a great, a great hire of this is who we're going to do. Kind of focusing on, especially it seems like he's focused on youth football throughout, uh, you know, all of his jobs, which is something that we really need to still get better at in this country is the, the youth football movement. So if this is our sporting director and if he's actually going to have full, you know, autonomy to uh, to hire his own manager, I really like this move. I know some people said, I think it was on like the CBS coverage, you know, that they don't see this as us winning a, a World Cup. I, I I don't know if there's any hire that immediately makes me think this is the guy or or woman who's going to take us to the promised land of that. I think what you have to do is is keep taking steps, right? I don't actually think that any time in the next eight years we are even close to winning a World Cup. So in that sense, this guy is probably not going to be here for more than eight years, if I had to guess, and it might be shorter than that, right? So build the next foundational block. Get us to, you know, I think the goal is like 30 to 50 years winning a World Cup, right? Which sucks for me because that might be near the tail end of my life. But I do think that what you need to do is just keep, keep taking steps. We've gotten... We, we've gotten the big steps since we first qualified again for a World Cup in, what, 1990? Or one of those where we were, we were consistently making World Cups until, uh, until we missed 2018. And at that point, yeah, that put us just a little setback. It wasn't a huge setback. We already still had a lot of these youngsters coming in. So it just put us a little step back. And now hopefully we can go full-fledged forward. I don't think we're missing a World Cup again at this point, especially when they keep expanding the World Cups. If we're really going to like 40-some teams and probably eventually 64 at some point, right? Like that's just how I keep thinking this thing is going to grow and grow and grow. Because if you're FIFA, you know, why not, right? If you're FIFA, you have 200-some member nations, and you're thinking, well, if we have 64 of them in the World Cup, then... You know, we can make even more money from those spectators, those, you know, jerseys, those sponsorships, all that kind of stuff that might pull it in a little bit more. So in FIFA's end, I, I don't think we're ever going to hit a spot where they're like, there's too many countries in the World Cup. I, though I think 64 is probably that max. Uh, though, you know, you can't underestimate FIFA at this point. So if that's the case, then I don't see us missing a World Cup ever again. We would have to take a huge downturn. With the way that the game is growing here in this country, that you can watch the EPL, the Bundesliga, you know, Serie A. You can watch almost every single league you want here in this country. And that's helping kids have access to the game at levels that, you know, ourselves and people like my parents did not have in this sport. And, you know, getting it out there for people, getting them more interested so that way they actually start younger, so they start playing, so they grow up with the game. When I was growing up, soccer was pretty much only something you would do at your local rec. I was five when the MLS started when Major League Soccer started. I was five. So it was still growing. At that point, 
it wasn't really there wasn't like a path to be like i'm going to become a professional soccer player especially over here in the country right and and now we're seeing you know kids like pulis coming up in pennsylvania going overseas early geo reina and eventually we're going to get to a point where probably more and more of these kids are able to grow it with the game, pass it down to their kid. That's the main thing that we've needed is passing down the game to the other generations. That's why MLS is continuing to grow as well. Not only are they expanding into new markets, but there are people that can grow up in like Dallas and New England and DC and say, this team has been around my entire life. I'm going to play for them. And now they may use that as a jumping stone to go overseas, but I think eventually, when we're talking about it becoming a big league, Major League Soccer, I do think eventually it is going to all come back to here. Meaning, I do think eventually we can have a strong first division here that is not only pulling in big stars and retiring stars or older stars, but also producing talent like we do now but holding on to the talent there will be a time where we will have to hold on to some of these people holding on to a peppy jesus fiera if he does end up leaving at some point right brandon vasquez at some point we do have to hold on to those stars but not really until the level is there and I, I, that might be 30 years from now. It may be 50 years from now. But at some point, this league will be able to hold its own and be able to help push U.S. soccer even more forward. Now, I know that kind of seems irrelevant to what I'm saying, uh, you know, with, with the sporting director and stuff. But I, I like that we're starting to get a higher. I was hoping that what I wanted a manager by summer. I think that's pushed back a little bit. I I do seem that's pushed back a bit. What I do think instead is that we are looking to be. God, hopefully it doesn't take the rest of the year. I, I would say still by August, September, we're probably having a manager in and can start the fall with those fall windows having a full-time manager. But at least we have the sporting director. If it's to be believed, we have the sporting director. Announcement coming tomorrow. This was reported, of course, by The Athletic and stuff. So I do think that this is the guy. Don't think there's any, like, lies or, or anything there. Uh, we also got the group stage for the uh, for the Gold Cup. U.S. Soccer starts Saturday, June twenty fourth, against Jamaica at Soldier Field. Then they will play again against a team that is still in qualifying on. June 28th at 9.30 in St. Louis. And then they'll close it out with uh, Nicaragua uh, on Sunday, July 2nd in the group stage. So that's your Gold Cup 
results that were just uh, that were just out recently. And then also the USA drew with Mexico thanks to a Jesus Farragut in uh, the what were they calling it? Some sort of North American Classic or something. It was a friendly. I didn't. We talked about it last week, I think, when Logan was on here too, and I said I, nothing. Nothing is really getting me hyped for this game, and I'm, you know, I'm not really getting up for it. I did watch it, of course, and uh, it wasn't a very good game from the U.S., but we, you know, surprise, we're able to draw, which I think is now five unbeaten against Mexico, which is uh, which is always good. It's always good when you can beat them, a rival, or not lose to them, I guess. So it's it's been a good chunk of time that we haven't lost to Mexico. That's great. Okay, now I guess we can move forward because uh, I didn't really have too much to think about. I just need the Anthony Hudson era to be over. He doesn't – he failed his way upwards coaching-wise, and we now have a sporting director that's supposed to be announced tomorrow. Let's hire someone. Let's stop having lame duck managers, and let's get someone in here that can start putting their plan forward. We only have three years, Right. The World Cup is kicking off in June of 2026. We have, what is it, less than uh, 74 months? We have 74 months, less than that, 75 and a half or something. We don't have a lot of time. Let's get rolling. Not 70, not 74 months. Holy crap. Hold on, 12, 24, 36. Yes, we have like 37 and a half months. I was going by 24 hours. Look, it's been a long day. All right, it's been, it's been a long day for me. All right, so let's let's hit the headlines here for Major League Soccer. LA Galaxy have won a match. How amazing is this? LA Galaxy won their first game of the season. Uh, that still puts them in second to last place. They have six points. They're only three points off of a playoff spot right now. That's MLS for you, I guess. Which is why I do think that nine teams is too much at this point, is where I'm leaning. Now, if, if there becomes a bigger gap between ninth and like last, then yeah. But at this point, seventh place would have been last, and you would have 11 points with Minnesota. And LA was six. That's at least a five-point gap. That's more than one match that would you would need to overtake it. So, I don't know. Kansas City, they are still struggling, by the way. But yeah, LA Galaxy beat Austin 2-0. What a crazy, a crazy situation this was. LA Galaxy did start with the two forwards up top, like we've been saying. Hey, you know, you have uh, Jovalich and then you have uh, Chicharito and both of them score goals when they can. And why pick one when you can have both? They they both teamed up for a goal. That's great. And Austin. Austin's in trouble city. I know we just said about LA winning their first game. Let's put it in perspective then on how bad uh, Austin is, is right now, okay? Austin last year... We're flying. Absolutely flying. Finished, what, second in the West? Second in the West. 
they were in the hunt for the supporter shield for a bit. LA Galaxy just won their first game. It was against Austin. But let's put it in perspective. LA Galaxy just won their <clears throat> LA Galaxy just won their first game. Austin has won two. But my point being this is how bad Austin is. LA just won their first game eight games into the season. And they're only two points behind Austin. Only two points behind Austin. That's how far Austin has fallen. They're in 11th place right now with eight points. Two wins, four uh, losses, two draws, negative six goal differential. They've scored six goals. That is less than LA Galaxy have scored, and they've been having problems scoring. It's only three more than SKC have scored, who have been notoriously struggling for goals. It's one more than Montreal. Absolutely terrible season for Austin. No clue how they can fix this at this point. I know everyone's already woof out. You know, we follow a lot of Austin fans uh, on the Twitter and, and seeing, you know, there was a poll. I think We Are Austin TV did a poll, or maybe it's Capital City Soccer. One of them uh, did, a, did a poll, and it said, "Is are you woof in or woof out? I pushed woof in, by the way, just to see the results, uh, but... I do think he should be given some time after how well last year went anyway. But I, I pushed Wolf in. It was like 68% Wolf out. So that left us with what? 32% Wolf in? Something like that? It's absurd how quick. And look, this is Austin's thing, right? Year one, they were Wolf out like crazy. Year two, they were like Wolf out ish until they kind of started getting on a real roll then they're like oh never mind i'm still hesitant though and it feels like season three here has been woof out again so uh, i i guess we'll see on how it goes for austin they are having a terrible terrible season but they're one point out of a playoff spot this is why you can't be woof out right now and and this is the problem Overall with this league, and it's unfortunate, but I am going to point it out. The, the biggest problem with this league right now is there's no stakes. Unless if your team is targeting more than playoffs. But for teams that are just like, we want to get in there. Or if they have that crutch to fall on to. Like, let's say Austin's original plan was to finish first in the West. Well, now they can lean on the crutch of, well, just get in. Just get in there, right? Like, just get in. We're only one point off. Let's get into the dance. We can make up that point later in the season. And what that does is it, do it does give managers more time, which can be good or bad depending on your point of view. If you're woof out, that's bad. If you're woof in, that's good because you think eventually maybe he will come through and everything will turn around. But it's worrisome. It's worrisome, especially when you lose to the Galaxy, who have not won a game all season. 
He had Sebastian Jerusi posting something and turning off comments. I think his post on Instagram was something like, you can do your best for 99%, but they will always focus on the 1%. And I guess that upset some of the Austin fans. So there, there's there's something there. We, we don't know what's going to happen there. I doubt they'll fire him. Like I said, they're one point off right now. Uh, you think you can make up that that later in the season. Uh, they actually have a game in hand of Portland, who sits in 10th. So there's there's chances, right, um, for Austin to kind of overcome that at some point. Negative goal differential is not going to do it, though. They need to stop giving up goals, and they need to start scoring more. They've given up 12, scored 6, not good enough. All the teams in the bottom are pretty much teams that have given up 12 to 15 goals, uh, anywhere actually between 11 to 15 goals, and scoring only 3 to 7 goals. Now, Salt Lake's kind of the <laughs> reverse of that. They've played nine games. They've only played eight games, though, still. They have three wins, five losses, no draws, but they have a negative seven goal differential. RSL's given up 17 goals, only scored 10, and they're in a playoff spot. That's bad. It's bad. But uh, we'll, we'll maybe talk RSL later. They got a win, much needed win against San Jose. Uh, Union. Did they find their feet at the beginning of this run here where they're about to go? They played this game. They're going to go face the uh, LAFC on Wednesday in Chester, Pennsylvania. Then they're going to be off, and then they're going to go play uh, in L.A. for the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal. But they turned it on against Toronto. They win 4-2. And, you know, while I'm a Union fan, and I would love to say I think it's because of the Union have turned it around, I can't say that right now. <laughs> they did look a lot better. Ura with a hat trick. And I think I'll own goal in there somewhere. So 4-2. to two. One thing that scares me as a Union fan is giving up those two goals after it's 4-0. I was starting to panic. I was starting to think, oh, geez, maybe we're going to blow this. Two, Toronto's been awful. What, they have like a certain number of straight draws or whatever? They had not won in a while. How many wins do they have on the season? Toronto, they have one. They have nine points because they have uh, six draws. Six draws they have a negative one goal differential but they definitely are giving up too many goals they have 13 goals they've given up which is a lot it's actually the same number as the union at this point but insigne and bernadeshi cannot do it themselves and unfortunately it seems like toronto is not able to put it all together here i thought they would be better i did what did i have them as i had them at seventh they are currently 12th now, they're only two points off seven, so they can get there. How much time does Bob Bradley have? Well, that's the thing. Like I said, only two points, and you're already in the middle of a playoff spot. So you would think he has time. But I do wonder, has Bob taken this team as far as he can? 
meaning, you know, is it just not a good fit here in Toronto? They've spent money. And they're awful. They're awful. One win. Now, granted, they only lost twice. But six draws? It's like all they do is draw. 12th place, nine points, two points out of a playoff spot. Two points out of a playoff spot. Not even just ninth, but like I said, seventh place where the Union are. Four points from six. So it's possible for Bob to turn this around, for Toronto to be able to turn this around. But for me, the issue is, when is enough enough? This Toronto team, since Bob has joined it, has been underwhelming. And I didn't think it would be that way. I thought he'd be able to turn around. He did a hell of a job with LAFC. But it just doesn't seem like the magic is there for Toronto. This is a... Eastern Conference is kind of a mismatch. They should be able to at least get more than one win right now. We'll see, though. I guess we'll see on what happens. But how long do you give him? How long does Bob realistically have? I think I've been saying till the end of the season, but if it becomes a bigger gap at some point where chasing a playoff spot out of nine teams, nine playoff spot teams, and there's what? 15 in the East. If it gets to a point where they're starting to become too large of a gap, I could see Toronto maybe having to make a move, but I don't even know who you bring in. Do you bring in somebody midseason? Interim? Manager? Do you try for a big hire? Sometimes that backfires because they have to get adapted to the league. Are you going to give them... Do you, do you give them half a season to adapt to this league and then hope that next season they hit the ground running? Maybe. But I do feel sorry for Bob. I feel sorry for the Toronto fans. They have two all-star players. And nothing is going their way. They looked awful against the Union. So we'll see. We'll see if it's a blip on the radar for the Union or if they're actually this good going forward now. Uh, since he beat Portland 2-1, to one, that was fun. Since he's been a fun story in the season, they're in second place of the East. They're tied on points with New England. New England, I think, is above due to the goal four. Goals four, I think, is the first tiebreaker. They have three more goals than, than Cincinnati. Montreal beat New York Red Bulls 2-0. This was a huge one. Montreal winning. They also got a red card when they were 1-0 up, and it could have fallen apart, but they win that game. I'm sure Losada is breathing a sigh of relief. But they're still bottom of the East, even with three more points. Now, they're only five points off of a playoff spot. But they have yet to draw this season. Same thing with Miami. It's been two wins and six losses for both of those teams. And Miami, totally underperforming right now. 
totally underperforming. You could talk about Gregory and ha- and that whole injury, but again, one player should not cause that much of an issue. It shouldn't. They have to be able to do more, Miami. Here's the teams that have been really disappointing this season. You could say Montreal due to how well they were last year, but we kind of saw that coming with Wilfred Nancy leaving and them shipping out a whole bunch of players. But Miami, been massively disappointing this season. They're in 14th place. Red Bull, I thought they'd be better than they were. They're in 13th place. Now, they're only three points out of a playoff spot, but, you know, still, what what's going on with Red Bull? Toronto's been massively disappointing. I think those are three teams they had in the playoffs, by the way. Chicago has been a surprise. That's been good. Chicago put up a good fight against Atlanta yesterday, lost it in stoppage time to Atlanta. Atlanta's third in the East. They with they have 18 points. That's kind of where I think it's starting to go right now. If you're looking, unless if some of these teams start falling apart in the top three, I think we almost have a three-way battle for top of the East at this point. I'm starting to call it New England, Cincy, Atlanta, realistically top of the East. Those are teams with two points per game or more. Now, NYCFC have been better than we thought they would be. They started off kind of slow. 15 points. They're in fourth. So only three points behind Atlanta. But if I'm, you know, before we were kind of talking about realistic supporter shield and realistic Eastern Conference champs, I'm almost putting it at the third place right now. New England, Cincy, Atlanta. I think that's it. That might be too early for me to say, but we're nine games in for some of these teams. Eight for some of the others. Nine games in on some of these teams, and I'm thinking the most consistent teams are those Atlanta, Cincy, New England. They've each only lost one game. Columbus has been all over the place. I don't know what to think about them. They lose to Charlotte 1-0 in Charlotte, of course. That might just be MLS for you. But I really was just speaking up Columbus so highly last week that I feel like uh, kind of an idiot. (laughs) Now, of course, they might still turn it around. But, you know, I was talking them up, and I don't know if people pay attention to that, but I was talking them up, and they're probably watching them in that game and like, hmm, they're not as good as they think. And I think now I might have to take back what I said last week that they had a shot at all at winning the East. They're six points back. Nashville in six, they drew with LAFC one well and LAFC heavily rotated out their squad. But I do like what I saw from Nashville in the sense of one scoring a goal, <laughs> scoring a goal. They've been a team that's only scored uh, eight times. They've given up five. They give up another one here after a huge start to the season where they've given up zero. They're now given up five. But to do that against a team like LAFC, I think it's pretty good. Now, again, LAFC had like five changes as they prepare for the Champions League. So we don't really know what to take from that game. 
DC beat Orlando 3-1. They're both tied on points, but Orlando actually has a game in hand. But this uh, this DC team's been kind of a surprise. They've they've been kind of even. Three wins, four losses, two draws. They've been kind of all over the place. <laughs> all over the place. But, you know, good for them to be above the line. I didn't think I'd see that this, this quickly in the season. And like I said, Chicago was a was a uh, good surprise as well. NYCFC beat Dallas 3-1. Dallas was a team I had kind of high hopes for. They're in fourth in the West. That's not terrible, but it's also not optimal. (laughs) I'm starting to think it's like a six-team battle for supporters, Shelly. You got St. Louis, Seattle, LAFC, New England, Cincy, Atlanta. That's kind of top three of each conference is kind of where I'm drawing the line, I think. Colorado drew with St. Louis, 1-1. That's a surprise because the Rapids have been pretty bad this season. They're in 12th place. They only have one win on the season as well. They've only scored six, given up 11. Houston beat Miami. I got to check this. I got to check this because I swear Houston has faced an Eastern Conference team all season (laughs) each week i know they didn't i know there was at least a dallas game or an or an austin game but my word have they been facing the eastern conference this entire time let's check it i'm curious about this let's go see so they started off the season against cincinnati that's an eastern conference team then they faced new england that's an eastern conference team they faced austin that's the west New York City FC, that's the East. San Jose, that's the West. LA, that's the West. So they're tied 3-3 right there. Then they face uh, New York Red Bulls and Miami. That's 5-3. They've played eight games, five of them against the East, three of them against the West. That seems absurd for the start of the season, especially in colder climates when Houston's from Texas. I don't know why they didn't just have uh, I mean, what what is it? One, two, three of those were hosted over. Three of the five were hosted in the Eastern Conference. Just seems bizarre. Now, we will go on a run here where Houston is not going to face an Eastern Conference team for quite some time. Uh, they go face RSL, Seattle, Minnesota, Dallas, Austin, Vancouver. That's the month of May. Uh, then they face uh, St. Louis. LAFC, LAFC again, San Jose, Austin, Seattle, SKC, Minnesota, Colorado, Portland, Salt Lake, Columbus. That is the next one. That's at the end of August. And then Montreal in October. So for whatever reason, however the schedule shook out, they decided we're going to play out of the eight games, you're going to play five of them against the Eastern Conference in the first two months of the season, and then you're not going to play them again until August. That's very bizarre. At least I'm not crazy. I did know it was an overwhelmingly amount. But Houston win that game. Uh, that might be part of the reason why Houston's looking so good. They're, they're <laughs> facing the Eastern Conference. Seattle beat Minnesota 1-0. 
and that's all the results. So I guess real quick, standings, top of the East is New England, Cincinnati, Atlanta. Then fourth place, New York City FC, Columbus is in fifth, Nashville in sixth, Philly in seventh, D.C. in eighth, Orlando in ninth. Out of the playoff zone in the East is Chicago, Charlotte, Toronto, New York, Miami, Montreal. Over on the West, St. Louis still holds the first spot. Now, they are tied with Seattle, and LAFC has a game in hand, only one point behind, but you have St. Louis, Seattle, LAFC. Fourth place, Dallas, San Jose in fifth, Houston in sixth, Minnesota in seventh, as they've fallen quite a bit the last few weeks. Vancouver in eighth, Salt Lake in ninth, and then out of the playoff spot, you have Portland, Austin, Colorado, LA, SKC. So what we're going to do now is take a look at the coming week of games. We have some midweek action, and we have some Champions League action as well. as We have U.S. Open Cup and Champions League. Match of the Week previews where we tell you what games to watch. And if I'm going to pick one of these Open Cup games, if it's available... It's kind of confusing because not all of them are available right now, but Pittsburgh and, and Maryland Bobcats is interesting to me. Uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, Maryland Bobcats. You have Charleston and Charlotte facing off in the Open Cup. Char uh, Charlotte Independence, by the way, not FC. Charlotte FC is playing South Georgia. Detroit is hosting Minnesota. New England is hosting Hartford Athletic. St. Louis is hosting Omaha. Kansas City, uh, that's SKC, is hosting Tulsa. Monterey Bay is hosting San Jose. And in the Champions League on Tuesday, Tigres hosting Club Leon at 10 o'clock. Then on Wednesday, in the Open Cup, we have Cincy hosting Louisville. That is a pretty cool matchup. Loudon versus Flower City. Atlanta United versus Memphis 901. Columbus Crew versus Indy 11. DC United versus Richmond Kickers. Miami FC hosting Miami, uh, inner Miami. Tampa Bay Rowdies hosting Houston, as Houston is going to be facing an Eastern team in a different league, but still funny. Uh, Birmingham versus Chattanooga. Chicago versus Chicago House. Nashville versus San Antonio. Colorado versus Northern Colorado Hailstorm. New Mexico United versus Phoenix Rising. Then in the Champions League, Philadelphia Union hosting LAFC at 9 o'clock at Subaru Park. Then back in the Open Cup, 10 o'clock, Las Vegas versus RSL, Sacramento versus Oakland Roots, Seattle versus San Diego Loyal, and Portland versus Orange County. Of course, watch the Champions League game. That's the big one on Wednesday if you want to watch a game. But I also do really like DC versus Richmond Kickers if there's a stream for that, and Miami versus Miami. Those are fun. And, of course, Cincy Louisville. Let's look at Saturday. Nashville versus Atlanta at 1.30 on April 29th. That's free on Apple TV and also on Fox. Columbus Crew hosts Miami at 7.30. That is also free. DC United hosts Charlotte. That is also free at 7.30. New England hosting Cincinnati. That is not free, but it is a battle of the top two teams in the East. Orlando hosting LA Galaxy. 
at 7.30. Toronto hosting NYCFC at 7.30. Austin hosting San Jose at 8.30. Chicago hosting the Red Bulls at 8.30. SKC hosting Montreal at 8.30. Sorry, just laughing because that might be battle of the bottom type game. St. Louis City hosting Portland. That is free on Apple TV at 8.30. Salt Lake versus Seattle at 9.30. And Vancouver, Colorado at 10.30. If I have to pick a match out of these, it seems pretty obvious to me to go New England versus Cincinnati. Let's look at what their records are against each other because Cincinnati is still so new. I don't know it. Well, now I know it. Okay, I just looked it up. New England, five wins, one draw, and one loss against Cincinnati. So Cincinnati's only won one match against the Revolution. That was uh, not even recent because all last year, New England did not lose to them. They played three times last year. New England drew to two in July. New England beat them May 21st in Cincy. And New England beat them in May as well, uh, May 11th, 5-1 last year. These teams are pretty close to even, 49% possession. They average about 13.2 shots for New England, 11.8 for Cincy. Shots on goal, 5.6 favor. New England, 4.8 to Cincy. So what I'm going to say here, New England is home. New England's been playing very, very well at home. They have four wins, zero losses, one draw at home at Gillette Stadium, while away Cincinnati has one win, one loss, and two draws. So what I will predict here is, is that they will, New England, will win this game. And I will say New England will win this game. Let's do New England. 3-1 over Cincy. It is a fun match. Top of the league. They both have 20 points. They have the same exact record. New England scores more. Cincinnati gives up more. It's I'm leaning towards New England here. I, I think... New England's going to win this game. 3-1 New England. So that is my pick of the week. If you're going to watch a match this weekend, you're going to want to watch that one. Both on 20 points. Oh, and Sunday we also have Minnesota versus Dallas. That is free on Apple TV, and it's also on FS1. 9 p.m. So what are we looking at here? No LAFC, no Philadelphia Union, and I think one other team because LAFC had their game postponed from the weekend. They asked for that. That was a big controversy. I saw a lot of Union fans upset about that but to be honest i don't have a problem with that i know they were saying hey our whole you know our whole thing was uh our our whole advantage is gone now and to me i don't think you need if 
you need an advantage like that, then it's not really fair. I don't know. I, I just think... I know apparently the union asked for it ahead of time, thinking, hey, in case we make it, it'd be cool to have that day off. But I also think, I do think this, I know union fans don't agree with me, but I do think this, if it was, if the roles were reversed, I do think MLS would allow this. I th- MLS does not care who's in the final, I don't think. They just want a good MLS team in the final. I don't see why they would care if it's LA. They're not getting, it's not like their viewership they're worried about. We already had an MLS team win Champions League. I don't think it's that big of a deal. For, like, I don't think they'd be like, no, if it was Philly, we would never move this game. It just seems kind of absurd to think that. Let me take a look, though. I'm looking at the standings right now and seeing what team I do not see. All right, so we have New England and Cincy. They're facing each other. We have Atlanta versus Nashville. We have New York City FC versus Toronto. We have Columbus facing off against Miami. We have Orlando versus L.A. Chicago versus Red Bulls. Charlotte, D.C. Okay, so they're there. And Montreal, KC. Okay, so we have all the East teams, except for the Union. That's what it should be. So now whoever LAFC was supposed to play, which I don't remember, we have Minnesota and Dallas. We have St. Louis and Portland. We have Seattle RSL. We have San Jose Austin. We have Minnesota Dallas. Yeah. Vancouver, Colorado. Seattle RSL. There's 19 teams. Two of them will be off. So that's 17. There has to be another person off. Dallas, San Jose, Houston. It's it's Houston. Yes. I think I figured it out. I think it's Houston. They don't have an article about moving the game? But I'm looking at the schedule. I don't see Houston on here. I don't remember reading them either. Okay. Houston's the other team off. And then, of course, Tuesday, May 2nd is the second leg of that over in L.A., 10 p.m. But we'll be back before then. We'll be back Monday talking about that. But, yes, uh, so thank you all for watching or listening to the podcast. That's going to wrap up all of my thoughts on the MLS action from the from the weekend. Thank you all for watching. Listen, if you want to follow us at Stateside Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, 
email at stateside show at gmail.com. Thank you again. Have a great rest of your week. We'll catch you next time.